Hello, welcome to the Immigrant News Podcast. My name is Oyin Ajibola, your host. At iMuse, we muse about everything that not only affects the successful integration and settlement of Canadian immigrants, but also invites subject matter experts to share their knowledge with the aim of empowering immigrants with the right information and resources to make informed decisions in every areas of their lives in Canada. Whether you're a first-generation Canadian citizen, permanent resident, international student, or temporary resident, seeking a community of like-minded people who want to make the best of the opportunities available to them in Canada, then this is the right place for you. For this podcast, you leave every episode with new or improved knowledge that would inspire you to thrive. So, join the Tribe Nation. On December 14, 2022, David Aloba, a five-year-old student of Samuel Boland School in Winnipeg, Manitoba, was beaten by a police dog when the canine division of the Winnipeg Police Department visited his school. The boy was taken to the hospital, where he received multiple stitches to his lower lips from a plastic surgeon. Winnipeg Police reported the incident to the Independent Investigation Unit of Manitoba, which is obligated to investigate incidents involving the police. However, the unit decided not to investigate the incident because David's injury was not classified as serious. According to the unit's website, serious injuries involve a hospital admission, dismemberment, or death. In an article published by CBC, an investigator from the unit was quoted as saying, that although David was taken to the hospital, he was not admitted, and that the unit could still carry out an investigation if there is enough public interest. In response, Mr. and Mrs. Aloba authorized Novadoc African Community to release an online petition to gain public interest, and it received more than 3,000 signatures in the first few days. How do David's parents feel about the incident and the way the authorities involved have handled it? What systemic changes do they want to see to avoid a reoccurrence? How can this incident psychologically impact David, his family, and other community members? Legally, who should be held liable for damages? To answer these questions on this episode of Immigrant News Podcast, we'll speak with Mr. and Mrs. Aloba, David's parents, Carol Sandy, a mental health therapist and an anonymous lawyer. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Femi. Can you please introduce yourself? All right, so thank you. Uh, my name is Femi Aloba, and I live in Winnipeg with my family. And uh, yep. I um, my name is Lara, Lara Aloba. Welcome to the show, Lara and Femi. I want to take you back memory lane to the event that occurred on December 14, 2022. From your recollection, how did the day go for you? Well, uh... My wife got the call from school, from Daniel's school, that 
uh, that there's been an accident and that he was involved with a dog bite. And of course, that was a shock because we did not even have any idea that there was going to be a dog at school. And um, she went there first. I joined her later on and I saw Daniel, I saw him bleeding basically. There was blood all over his shirt and um, he, was, he was covering his mouth with a white uh, cloth. And um, the first responders were there trying to support him and of course providing care, including his, the staff of his school. So from there, I learned that uh, there was a dog, a canine display. And um, while the children were trying to take pictures with the dog, Daniel tripped and of course the dog attacked and that led to we being called and all that. So at the point, we the, Daniel was transported to the hospital. I joined mm -hmm. at the hospital after about 30 minutes. And um, at the hospital, he was administered Tylenol, I think, initially, just to ease his pain. And we got to the hospital, I think. I think my wife got to the hospital with Daniel at about 12.30, and they were there to, in fact, we were there to about um, 8 before Daniel was discharged fully because, again, we had to wait. There was so much um, other emergencies, and uh, he got stitched on that day. And he had about 8 to 9 stitches on his lip. Huh. And, um, yeah, it was a very difficult situation for us because it wasn't uh, what we, of course, no one would expect that, especially that you did not also expect that there was going to be a dog on display and all of those. So for us as parents, it was a traumatizing one. It was really difficult to deal with. Uh, but we are thankful that it's not, it's not worse than it is. And, um, and we are hoping that uh, we can move past this situation. And of course, Daniel also moved past the the situation and hopefully there is not so much um, after effect of the of the bite. Let me just take you back a little bit. So you said you had no idea that the K9 division of the Winnipeg Police Services would be at the school that day. Is that a normal thing for the school to have such events and not inform the parents? No, the school would usually inform parents when there's going to be an event and they've always done great by doing that. So I, uh, we are still amazed by why there was an event and um, we were not informed or probably was it an emergency or was it unplanned or something? So that we don't know. And um, those are some of the questions we are also asking. And we thought that maybe if there was an investigation and there was a report and of course we get to know why that happened and how that happened. And all. So to clarify, would you say you understand exactly the events that led to your son being attacked by the police dog? No, we wouldn't say that. We do not understand exactly as it is because what would give us a solid understanding is if we also had a report. And with that report, of course, that means that there's been an investigation, there's been an inquiry. And with that, as parents, that would have been giving us a little bit of more understanding and uh, sort of, um, I wouldn't say closure as it were, but something, something to hold on to and say, okay, fine, now mm. we has been, but without getting anything of such, of course, it uh, it becomes even more difficult and uh, it's more. It's also mm -hmm. so much uncertainty as well as to how it happened and why it happened. Exactly. So let me go to your wife now. As a mother, I can't even begin to imagine the fear that you had experienced when you got the call from the school and also not getting clarity about what has happened so far. How has this whole incident impacted 
you as a mother, your son, and your family as a whole? Uh, yeah, I mean, it has actually been so difficult for us, especially the first um, week it happened. It has been um, a traumatizing experience for my son, especially my son, and then we as parents. And um, it's, it's just been so shocking as well. Um, you know, just getting that call and then seeing my son was attacked in school. I, I always just sometimes just flash back to the event of that day. And I just always, I'm just always just thankful that it wasn't more than, you know, more than what happened because it just mm-hmm. seems to have been worse and all that. Yeah, so it's been, it's been a very rough um, couple of days for us. And when you dropped your son off at school, or maybe it was the school bus that took him um, from home, whatever that was, yeah. the understanding always is you're handing him over to the school authority and they should be accountable for you um, um, to you for the upkeep of your son. Have you felt so far that you've gotten that level of accountability that you expected from the school, number one, and also from the Winnipeg Police Service? So far, no, because um, my my thoughts um, is that I dropped my kids off at school. The school is supposed to be like a safe place for him. Uh-huh. Um, and then now getting a call that my son was involved in presentation that I didn't know about. I mean, nobody told us about it. Nobody asked um, uh, permission. Permission was taken. No consent was given about it. Um, yeah, so I don't think the school on their own part have been very accountable and um, straightforward in that aspect. The police as well on their part, we are just like left in the dark so far. Mm. The way they've been handling the whole thing, no communication. We we expect more communication from um, the police and um, also from the school as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we we've not been getting more as much as we would have hoped for from them. I read the um, press release that the police put out on the day the incident happened and they said there was going to be an investigation and um, from the recent article that I read on CBC it appears that right now no investigation is going on in fact they have decided to close the investigation on what do you think about the whole process of one saying they are going to investigate and then closing or not going ahead with the investigation and not discussing that with you as the parents involved. That is one of the places where we had concerns because having an investigation means that there's going to be reporting and if there's going to be reporting on the situation, we'd also want would also be knowing um, what transpired and how it transpired, who was negligent and mm-hmm. who and of course, who was doing their job right. And of course, we would also know that based on the incident, there should be some recommendations. And these recommendations would refer to how subsequent uh, incidents will be prevented in the future. Mm-hmm. Because for us, it's, it, for us, we, we think it goes beyond 
our son just being beaten by a dog now it's now for us it's not like okay so this has happened yes we are glad that it's not worse than it is of course it is traumatizing for us and it's difficult mm -hmm. for them as well and we know that he might also be having fear of dogs and or probably of the police in the future but hopefully we can we can help him to deal with that and get out get out of that situation but what about other kids out there what about other members of the society you know these are this is our own stand this is where we're coming from if we if there was an investigation if there was a looking into the matter we believe that there should be some recommendations that would speak to this kind of situation in the future so that we can mm -hmm. prevent it from happening so that's where we're coming from yeah and that's absolutely understandable because being an immigrant myself and um reading about that i kind of feel some kind of fear that for the situation to have been handled the way it has been handled um and there is no accountability how am i sure that my own child would not have to experience this my own concern also is how this could impact your son um in the future if he doesn't get the appropriate support psychological support that he should get at this stage to help him deal with this issue and i hear you say that you have this as part of your fears as well mm -hmm. correct so moving forward to avoid a reoccurrence what would you like to see as steps towards accountability the first thing we'd want to see is that the case should be reopened mm -hmm. And there should be a proper investigation, not a super gloss over sort of. And mm -hmm. um, following the investigation, of course, we believe that there will be some recommendations mm -hmm. as to what actually, uh, based on what happened, you know, and how they intend to mitigate against that in the future. And from those recommendations, we as parents and of course we know that not just us right now there are quite, quite a number of concerned citizens and groups and organizations that are also weighing in on the matter would also be looking at what recommendations or what process or procedures will be in place for dogs or for service dogs who will be in public places mm -hmm. so and of course we know that these service dogs are also police officers so uh what would you be doing to if they are not in the line of duty, like active duty, trying to um, trying to track down probably an aggressor or a criminal? Mm -hmm. How do you intend to keep the public safe while also maintaining law and order and doing the good work you are doing? Because of course we cannot take away the fact that without the police, uh, community or our environment would be would be very much unsafe for us to actually live in. So they are doing mm -hmm. a great job of that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So those are the things that we are, we want to see as from the place of accountability. And again, from what we learned about the degree of classification of severity for the for which there would be an investigation when there's this kind of an occurrence. So for for our son, it was said that it is not a severe injury because he was not admitted or something. Uh, how severe do you want an injury to be, especially when we speak about a child? Yeah, it might know. It might know. So, you know, would you say the threshold of pain for an adult is the same as the threshold of pain for a five-year-old? Could we could we could we have could we have any basis for that? No, I, I don't think so. So when you say severity of the injury, 
you know there should be there should be a caveat to that i believe and those are the things that we are looking at right now and seeing how um there can be some level of accountability and response from from the bodies that should be doing what they should be doing so we'll be very much satisfied if all of these are, are looked into and of course if daniel and also the family psychological and uh, emotional stress and trauma is also being considered in um, in in the recommendations that we put forward so yeah that is where we are coming from how is daniel doing right now i hope he's feeling much better uh yes is is actually um, much more better now compared to the first few days when when the um, incident happened uh, mm -hmm. yeah he's, he's adjusting well although we will definitely try to get him getting into some sort of therapy okay i'm so glad to hear that and uh, please send our love to him and our love to your family as well we okay. hope that this situation is resolved to the satisfaction of everyone yeah, that is yeah. involved yep so, so thank you so much yeah thank you again for your time to understand the legal implications of this incident we spoke to a damage claims lawyer in Manitoba who prefers to remain anonymous. The lawyer says the Manitoba Animal Liability Act might not apply to police service dogs. However, he explains that police service dogs are intermediate weapons that execute commands. Accordingly, the Winnipeg Police Department stated in their December 14 news release that the involved canine is a single-purpose drug detection dog and not trained in aggression or apprehension. Apparently, the police believed that the dog was not violent and assumed that the dog's temperament was such that it wouldn't bite when there was a contact, no matter the type of contact. However, if you're going to be around kids, you should assume that there could be any type of contact. Perhaps they expected that there would be no contact at all, and if any, then the dog would not bite. Who dropped the ball and became liable for the damages caused? First of all, there was no consent from the family to have dogs around their children or take pictures with them while unmuzzled. While most parents might not have a problem having a dog in the school, most will not allow close contact with an unmuzzled dog. The lawyer says the school should have informed the parent and provided information on the kind of dog, the temperament, and whether the dog would have a jaw abductor muzzle to prevent a bite in the event of contact with the children. The police brought an intermediate weapon to the school. Presumably, with the permission of school authorities, but without the consent of the parents who placed their children in the care of the school. This was negligence to inform on the part of the school. Police dogs naturally have aggressive instincts. Since the essential factor in this incident is the protection of children, it is negligent on the part of the police to take an intermediate weapon close enough to the children for an attack to have occurred without taking necessary precautions. Was this the right dog to bring to the school? Does it have the experience and training to not react on contact? 
The lesson here is to seek consent and take all necessary precautions. However, since the deed has been done and mistakes made, the critical next step is to ensure that David is physically and psychologically supported to be a strong and happy boy. What kind of support can help David, his family, and the community to navigate this trauma without internalizing it? A mental health therapist will answer this question after the break. Are you an immigrant looking for an active community of other immigrants to help you navigate the Canadian system and culture? Join iConnect to share, learn, and grow with other like-minded immigrants while staying up to date on settlement programs, services, and deals that are relevant to you at each stage of your journey. Connect with other immigrants to gain knowledge and a support system to professionally socially and financially thrive in Canada. Whether you're a potential immigrant, newcomer, international student, refugee, temporary worker, or permanent resident turned citizen, there is something for everyone. Visit ImmigrantConnect.app to join the Tribe Nation. Again, it's ImmigrantConnect.app. My name is Carol Sandy. I'm a couple and family therapist. I am the owner of From Invisible to Visible Therapy, which is a clinic, counseling clinic for people of color who want to work with clinicians of color. Thank you for that introduction, Sandy. Mm -hmm. How do you think this incident can impact the mental health of David? That's the child involved. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just going to be very clear. David experienced a traumatic incident and mm -hmm. traumatic incidents are anything where one is afraid for their life and their safety. Right. And, and so in that moment, we want to just hold that and be mindful of that. And when we think of a young child in this incident, we know it takes time for them to make much longer to make sense of a situation like this following. So, when we look at mental health in children, it's defined as interpersonal security, a sense of being loved, protected, or cared mm. for, right? And we, we support them to understand their mental health, how they think, feel, and, and behave through social interaction. So in this case, David clearly was in, in a place where he would expect to be safe, right? Which is probably mm -hmm. why he decided to interact and take the, you know, take the photo or, or be around the dog. But then there was a sense because the dog attacked, he was no longer able to protect himself. And I'm guessing in the incident, maybe somebody came and helped him and, you know, pulled him mm -hmm. away or was whatever the case may be, but he experienced a distressing incident. And that has the potential to really kind of disrupt our ability to function well in our home, in school, or in social situations. So in general, when we look at that as a whole, that's really a, an understanding of both mental health 
and how that incident impact has probably likely impacted his safety, his surrounding, mm. and it probably impaired his judgment of understanding what is safe, what is not safe. And again, the job of our, our of parents is to help children to feel safe, to, safe in the world mm. that they're in. And so what will now be required is that they take that extra step now to, to ground him and support him through that. Um, never mind not taking, you know, taking into consideration their own fear and frustration and mm. also not feeling um, supported. So it's the mental health of David that has been impacted and likely, of course, of his parents. Absolutely. And we naturally feel a sense of safety around the police. And being that it's a police dog that attacked him at this point, do you think that could lead to extra mental health issue for him and later some fear and insecurity issue around police later in the future? So I think absolutely when we think about what's safe and what's not, we when we are young, we really do have a, a connection to police officers and the policing system. That's a natural connection where we've been taught if something goes wrong, these are the people that you find. Mm. And so it's just a natural place where kids and, and we, we, we teach our kids who's safe and who's not. So I definitely think, of course, when you think of probably his peers mm -hmm. as well, they were probably interacting with the dog as well. So there was, yeah, of course, a, a level of safety that was created and that it really is going to take creating that or, or supporting him to see that not all X, Y, and Z are the same way. So yes, of course, it's going to take creating that safety by letting them know this is an incident. We don't want him to start to think that all situations will always be like this. So it's, yeah, it's that added pressure to have to create that um, new narrative that mm. is probably has been interrupted given their circumstances. So how do you think the parents can support him moving forward? Mm -hmm. So this is going to be you know, imperative that they remain attentive to David's emotional well-being um, and, and, and that of their own as well. And so they're, they're, it's going to be likely that it's going to be some difficult days ahead, if not already, mm. that they've experienced. And they, they need to try as best as they can to prepare and plan for that. So incorporating... You know, obviously, returning back to school, um, being around his peers, um, and so putting those things, those plans in into um, consideration may require him them to kind of think of what are some fun activities David needs mm. to incorporate. How do we help him to uh, create coping statements? that again will help him to ground himself um and 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 they also will have to take into to consideration making note of unpleasant emotions that he might be experiencing so it it all requires a constant sort of uh assessing and and uh, evaluating and paying attention to how david is showing up and that's going to mm -hmm. be also the responsibility of his teachers and and those as well too to be a supportive base for him because again, school for all of us at a young age is a safe place. So now we have to re mm. remind him that it, you know, he can still he can lean on on those that are around him, 
whether that's community or, like I said, professionals, um, that can also help. You know, if there might be a need for him to con- to begin some help with a professional, that can help him to manage negative thoughts or emotions. Mm. And so that's going to be all part of the plan. Yeah, thank you for providing those um, tips for the parent to help in supporting him. You mentioned the impact that community members can have also and integrating him back into the community, the school and all. Now let's talk about the impact this incident would even have or could have on community members. Mm -hmm. People that belong to minority group, watching how this is being handled, how can it impact them mentally and in the way they feel accepted and treated equally in Canada? Mm, So good. Great question. So important. Um, I'm going to start with just when we we work from a trauma-informed approach, we have to also work from a race-informed approach. And that Mm -hmm. is something that we can't just only consider as training for organizations and then not to walk it out and take it into consideration. So I'm just going to even just begin with that, that these all of the various organizations, these institutions that we work with, we really need them to show up Mm. beyond just sitting through a training, right? And so this is why it's so important for for us to be aware of what needs to be handled and and that it needs to be handled well and and respectful. So when we send our children to school, we place hands of trusted professionals, first and foremost, Mm. and we have expectations that they will be cared for appropriately, protected, and that there will be accountability. Uh-huh. And so when we think about our visible minority communities, we, 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 we struggle with trust because we have a history. And so we Absolutely. have to really be mindful of this. And so um, when we take these steps, we have to think first, as a community, we have a high level of stress already connected to systemic occurrences, whether those are subtle or overt racism. And so mm-hmm. that's already active in, in, in our various communities. So feeling safe in our communities really requires that we have to be intentional. And so that, you know, when we have these kinds of incidences, we have to feel like we are supported, that we are seen. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, and so it's important that first and foremost, that we have these conversations because it's going to trigger up uncomfortable feelings and within our communities that can really lead to anger, avoidance, rumination, you know, of, mm-hmm. okay, here we go again. And so it it can also cause us to really not want to even go there. So we shy mm-hmm. away. We don't want to talk about it. These are all symptoms of what racial trauma kind of causes within us. And so it's, an, it's important that we have a place to start to open up and discuss and recognize that all feelings are accepted. And so I mm. think that's paramount to healing and finding sort of ways that we can come together as a community. We're not always, we're not always going to agree. We're not always going to see it the same way, but it mm-hmm. is going to bring up something. And so it's important that, you know, we find ways to heal appropriately. Mm. I often talk about knowing thyself. And so when mm-hmm. we think about knowing thyself, this is something that I encourage communities to keep in mind. This requires that we first and foremost, 
take care of ourselves. So we find healthy ways to incorporate self-care. But second is that we, we ask ourselves good questions. We heal when we move. We heal mm. when we take the next steps. And so not all of us have the same gifts or desires, but I encourage our community to find something that they do well or feel that they can um, stand up to injustice. And that might mean uh, talking to your local mayor. It may mean that you're playing a more active role in your school and community that your child uh, goes to, speaking up in your workplace, but doing something that feels Mm -hmm. appropriate for you. Because otherwise we begin to internalize these sort of incidences. Here we go again. There's nothing we can do. When in reality, it's actionable steps that really help us to see, again, what we will be teaching our our young people, that we are worthy, that we belong. And we have to do that work first so that we can then mirror that to our children, right? And so these are Mm -hmm. all things that I would encourage us to be mindful of because they are this type of incident has the ability to trigger up uncomfortable feelings. Immigrants Muse reached out to the Winnipeg Police Department to inquire about the current status of the case, but we were referred to the December 14 news release on their website. Efforts to obtain additional information from the Lewis Rural School Division and the Independent Investigation Unit of Manitoba have yet to receive any responses at the time of this recording. What do you think about this incident and how it has been handled? Has it impacted you in any way? I hope you've learned a thing or two about how systems can sometimes work in Canada and how you can play an active role in building a country where everyone feels seen, heard, and welcomed. Do you have a story you would like us to highlight on the show? Please send us a voice note using our anchor link or email info at immigrantnews.ca. Until next time, this is Oi Ajibola for Immigrant News.